Does the law really work the way TV and movies depict? Let's discuss with Christine and Christine. Hi, everybody. We're so excited for everyone to join us again. This is Law and Pop Culture, episode 20, Chris. That's pretty good, 20. I am Christine Mattis, and I am joined with my lovely co-host. Christine Karantahagursky. And again, Law and Pop Culture, where we talk about movies, events, things we see in the news, things on TV that has to do with estate planning, probate or guardianship. And we ask, does that really happen? Oh, Chris, it's so good to see you. How you been? Okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited about this, um, this movie that we are going to be talking about. I really enjoyed it. And I was, this is the first time I actually saw this. So the movie I'm talking about is The Other Sister. And it's got one of my favorite actresses, Juliet Lewis. She is so versatile. And I didn't realize just how versatile she was until I saw this movie. <laughs> so and let's just preface this too with everybody. So this was 1999. So, you know, there's now a trend, which, and it, and it actually is the right thing. Um, but, you know, there are actors with these situations that we should be looking for and not, you know, I guess there's that controversy, Chris, of finding actors playing you know, mentally disabled people like, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, things like that. Whereas there are talented people who have this condition and should be the ones in the role. But this is 1999. So it's a different era. So I just want to mind people. So again, let's look for looking at the movie for what it is. I liked it. Exactly. Stepping back, looking like a little cringy, you know, but. Yes. I liked it. I agree with you. I liked it. But go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. I did. It was really a heartwarming story about a mom. You start. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. It's a mom who wants to, you know, still protect her daughter who has special needs. I mean, we weren't really very clear about what Julian Lewis's um, uh, disability was. At least I wasn't clear about what that was. But she is one of three daughters, and her mother, uh, played by Diane Keaton, um, you know. Diane Keaton in this movie was Elizabeth, and she's she just wants to make sure that her daughter is protected. So she kind of holds back from letting her do things that she wants to do. The daughter is Carla. Uh, Juliet plays uh, Juliet plays Carla. So she lives with both parents, Diane Keaton and Tom Skerritt, who's um, Carla's dad, Bradley. Um, and there are you know there are certain things in Carla's life she wants to be able to go to college. She wants to be able to do certain things by herself. She wants to have an apartment. And here's mom constantly saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. Oh, no, you can't do this. It has to be my way. And to the point where Carla meets another, Carla meets a boy. He also has some challenges. And a boy named Danny, played by Giovanni Ribisi. I can't believe that he's been around that long. I <laughs> He's a good actor. He does a lot of stuff. I have no idea. Oh friends, my gosh. Right? He was Phoebe's brother. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many different like shows that he's been on. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe I missed this. But anyhow, uh, you know, uh, Danny is uh, Danny's played by Giovanni Ribisi. He he um you know he has his own apartment. He does have, you know, he does have some challenges as well, but he's he goes to school with Carla. He has his own apartment. He has this freedom. Carla's looking at him like, well, he, you know, he can get in his own place. Why can't I get my own place? You know, she's discovering the things that she can do for herself. And, you know, she's kind of mimicking what Danny's situation is like. 
only to find out later that Danny's dad decides to cut him off for some reason. <laughs> and then, you know, all hell kind of breaks loose, right? Because, oh my goodness, well, how is he going to be able to support himself? And the reality kind of sets in. We need to have jobs and things like that. So in the end, what happens is Danny, you know, Danny puts, you know, Carla in some very uncomfortable situations, specifically, you know, uh, professing his love to her in front of hundreds of people and, you know, him making somewhat of a, you know, um, kind of making, um, making a you know, kind of a fool of himself, not really, but somewhat like that, because he's doing things to him completely normal. But unfortunately, the whole world doesn't understand him. And here's Carla embarrassed, you know, after seeing what, you know, people laughing at her and such. So very touching story in that regard because you see how you know how uh, difficult it could be for the both of them to be together but at the same time kind of feel for them because you want them to be together but you know that they have to have some sort of guidance right, right. Um, in the end you know they end up getting married even though mom Diane Keaton is completely against it at first but you know she softens up she she realizes this is what's best for her daughter and it ends up on a very good note. Um, that's just an overall, right? <laughs> There's so and many. You know, when you, when you look at Diane Keaton's role, you know, mm-hmm. even just whether or not she was dealing with typical, you know, children or not, right. she, you know, she was a typical mom, protective mom, wants what's yeah. best for her daughter. Right. He's not good enough. I mean, these are very no matter what lines and and themes here you know but you know because of Carla's condition it does add Mm -hmm. another level of you know uh, of problems and issues that that are facing Diane as a mom and what she's Mm -hmm. worried about I didn't get much feedback from the father he just kind of was kind of like I guess with the sisters like ah you know, yeah, exactly. Right? Well, they were kind of accepting. They're, I feel like they were more accepting of, of Carla. You know, they knew that she had some challenges, but they weren't going to tell her, no, don't do this, don't do this. But then again, they're not moms. I hate to say it, but as a mom myself, you know, uh, even though, no, you know, I'll give you an example. So, <laughs> you know, with, uh, say, Juliana, and I remember when she wanted to try ice skating, I was like, no, it's not going to happen. So for a lot of us, uh, if you haven't known, I have two beautiful girls and my youngest, Juliana, born with Down syndrome, and she wanted to go ice skating. And I was terrified. I was like, oh, my gosh, because, you know, her balance and her coordination isn't great, Chris. But Stephen, my husband, like, okay, let's go. And I'm like, what? And even Emma, my oldest, she's like, yep, we're going to take her. I, I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch. <laughs> I remember just looking away. And then I, then I looked up, she fell. And I was like, oh, she fell. Like, oh, this is it. Bring her in. And nope, she got up, dusted herself and tried it again. And I'm like, and she loved it. And I, I guess in that small sense, I could see what Diane Keaton was thinking as her character, as the mom character. Sure. Saying, you know, I need to be the protector. It's a good balance. You know, mm-hmm. I think if everyone's all out, let her try and see what happens. Maybe you do need someone to pull in the reins, but she was a bit of an extreme factor. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it, it, I liked it too. I thought it was a, it was a fun movie. I like a very right. good movie. Um, and I say it's probably more reflective of what we see in real life than some others that we've talked about. This is um, this is almost like a you know a glimpse in the life of somebody who has a child with some special needs. So I think it was uh, that's what I liked about it. It was so mm, these one of my friends are going here. That's kind of how I feel about it. So you know, yeah. um, so that in that way, you know, and of course that brings brings us to the questions of well, you know, 
we know that Carla's disability wasn't really impairing her. Maybe she needed some guidance more than anything. And the question would become like, what, what legal tools are there that's available for her to still have that freedom, yet parents have a little bit of control or at least could be the backup should she actually do something. I mean, that generally is the power of attorney, right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, that would probably be one of the least restrictive tools, right? Because um, it's not going through the court, right? The mm-hmm. other tools are a little bit more um, more strict, but a power of attorney is a document and Carla can pick who she would like to make decisions for her. Um, she has, you know, a, 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 some capacity to understand mm-hmm. the, the gravity of that document and what what's involved. So that's a, it's a great tool for her to have that power of attorney, you know, and that she can nominate either her husband or her mom or mm-hmm. you know, um, to step in to make decisions. And that's, uh, you know, something that you would think is in there. So that would be a great tool for people. So I thought, you know, that's, that's one thing to do. But mm-hmm. of course, if she needed more help, we might have to look at the something called a guardianship. And that one is, you know, a little more, more, you're going through the court, you have to make a petition, it's much more formal, um, you know, and that's not so easily revoked, a power of attorney can be revoked, you know, that's one thing we have to always be aware of that if, you know, they have a right to say, well, I don't really like you as my power of attorney, I'm going to, you know, I would like somebody else and they can do it. Whereas a guardianship, and not so easy. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things to get over, but there are tools involved because Carl is of legal age, you know? Yeah. And, but I think in this situation, you know, probably power of attorney may have been the tool to focus mm-hmm. on her. That's what it looked like. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I'm also very careful because the guardianship, aside from it being hard to just, you know, revoke, um, there are, you know, without the proper guidance too, don't, you don't even realize, but you're taking away somebody's right to do certain things. And it becomes a little nerve-wracking if you think about it, because what is it that you're, you know, what, what are you taking away from that person? And you really have to be very careful about what it, what that is. I mean, say, for example, you know, you say that the person who you want to be a guardian, you might take away their right to drive by mistake, not even realizing that that's something they can do, or they have the ability to do that, or, you know, uh, Vote, for example, uh, that's one thing that many people do have. Ex- they can express their right to do that, even if there is a guardianship. So it's really, you know, important to really understand the person. I mean, generally, that's what we have for our own children, right? But say, for example, you're you're seeking guardianship over a sibling. Um, these are things that you really have to really analyze and look at to make sure that you're doing the right thing by that person. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, the other tools that they might want to bring in Chris is that, you know, with the both of them, I'm curious about their employment, um, Mm -hmm. what they're receiving, they probably are receiving benefits, you know, Mm -hmm. something like Medicaid or SSI. And for our families listening into this, those type of benefits are means tested, which means they're asset sensitive. And typically right now, you know, just using easy numbers, they really shouldn't have more than 2000 in their individual names or else they could lose those, you know, those benefits. So they probably, I would think the parents are look, we're looking into a special needs trust, you know, a supplemental mm-hmm. needs trust so that if something should happen to the parents, 
uh, Carla can still get inheritance and same thing with Danny, you know, um, and not lose their benefits. Uh, Because I I do suspect they're probably receiving benefits just because of, you know, how how to support their lifestyle and the type of, you know, place that they're living and things like that. It, it, it's, you know, could eat up most of their benefits and they need to have money for other things. You know? mm-hmm, so, absolutely. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I would highly see that they probably have a trust in place, you know. Absolutely. That's definitely something that, you know, people have to consider when they want, whenever they want to pass on assets to their loved ones who have special needs, because those trusts without them, you know, you could lose a lot of, you know, you could lose whatever you pass on to them toward these, you know, these things that you could get for free is really what it comes down to. So, yep. And that brings us to some real life situations here. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to the segment of our podcast, which is also fun where, you know, sometimes there are people in the news that we come across that are going through something similar. So uh, we wanted to look into the real life case of the actor Colin Farrell and his son who has a disability and that had caused his parents to seek legal help to continue to care for him. Um, And uh, there were quite a number of uh, sources that we looked in here, um, health.com, eonline.com. They had a lot of things about what was going on. So Colin Farrell, um, you know, an actor in, you know, he keeps himself busy. I mean, he's a very good um, actor And in May 2021, he filed for conservatorship for his 17-year-old son, James Farrell. James was diagnosed with Angelman syndrome. And that's a complex genetic order that mostly impacts the nervous system. Um, And that's what we were looking at, Medline Plus. And it can lead to developmental delays, intellectual disability. Um, There's uh, speech impairment and movement imbalance issues. And it's a condition that people are born with. It's genetic. So uh, there is some thought that if you had someone in your family with it, you may have a higher risk of, of having it. Um, it looks like one in 12,000 to 20,000 people have this Angelin syndrome. Um, and they're saying that, you know, the syndrome, it makes it difficult for people who have this condition to be independent um, because of the communication issue um, and the intellectual um, intellectual delays and issues that they may have. So Colin, he shares his eldest son with James Predig Farrell um, in 2003 with ex-girlfriend Kim Bordenave. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right. So they had split after, but they continued to co-parent James, their son, uh, who requires additional care. Um, and that, you know, again, it's something that, you know, I like the idea that they're still together, working together for their son. They may not be married, but they still have that objective care for their son, which is good. Um, Colin, the actor, has spoken about his son before um, in various events um, during, in 2020, the Global Summit and the mini gala for the Foundation of Angels Syndrome for Therapeutics. Um, You know, and again, he gives everyone an idea of what it is a day in the life uh, with his son. Um, You know, it's very touching uh, and it's, he's an involved father. You know, sometimes you think these celebrities are out of touch you know, doing their own thing, or they have all the nannies doing things, but he's a, he and his, um, uh, and the mother of the child are hands-on uh, parents, which is really uh, admirable. Um, and he, he actually does a description of 
uh, how it is when, you know, he was first realizing what uh, his son James was going through and the, um, the issues and the delays. And I think any parent who may have a child who's disabled can really relate with the ups and the downs and, you know, and, and the things that you're trying to anticipate, um, you know, uh, and that was something that I thought was touching when I read more about him. So, um, you know, he does give a very good description of having people understand what he and his family go through. So they did file for conservatorship. It was before James's 17th birthday. Um, and it's Colin and his ex-girl, uh, ex-wife, um, uh, Kim, they are the co-conservators um, of his person. And it's in a limited conservatorship. Um, so there it's a legal arrangement that allows the conservators to manage the personal needs, including medical decisions and someone who's unable to care for themselves. What's interesting, right, Chris, that in different mm-hmm. states call this different things. Like in New Jersey, we would have considered that a guardianship, mm-hmm. but I think out where they are, it's conservatorship. But again, it's a legal procedure, a petition mm-hmm. where adults are appointed to make decisions for another individual who is presumably will be an adult. Um, so that's what they had done. So they applied for their conservatorship um, and explains that, you know, again, with all his issues that James is having because of his uh, condition, why they need to step in and, and help him. I have to say what I'm surprised about, Chris, is how much information we were able to find about this, because typically these should be private, you know, yes. um, these are closed. I have to tell you, we've had cases where people are wanting information about a guardianship that took place. I, I can't even find what county it's filed. Oh my gosh. As we are reading this, I'm just like all this information. And, and I don't know if maybe oh on purpose <laughs> to help other families, mm-hmm. but <laughs> if, if not, then I'm kind of surprised that this is all out there. You know, I was like, Oh, you know um, so you know, they went through the whole procedure Um and so they have conservatorship. So again, I think it's a nice example of celebrities when they do things, you know, that they didn't let things go and that they are paying attention to this and being there for their, their son. Um, so uh, here's a question, Chris, that brings us. So, you know, filing for guardianship or conservatorship, you know, uh, for your child, uh, is it, you know, why is it important to do it before 18, you know? So- well, here in the United States, not sure where they did their conservatorship, but 18 is the 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 um the age where somebody is legally responsible for own their own decisions and you know managing their own money. They're no longer a child technically. So yeah. what happens at 18 if you have a child with special needs, you'll start to see that doctors are going to have to try to talk to your child before they let you into the room with them, you know, with them. Um, they're going to start to ask you, so did you file for guardianship already? Because at 18, a person is supposed to be able to make these decisions for themselves. So it's important to start the process. If you know that your child can't make those decisions for themselves, whether it's medical, financial matters, you know, um, uh, legal matters, if you see that this is something that you need to um, address, talk to an attorney at least three or four months before they turn 18. Because as an example, here in New Jersey, what do you need to file the guardianship? Well, you have to file your own petition, which is like, you know, a complaint that you file with the court. And this, you know, petition actually states exactly, you know, why you want to be in this position, why you want to be the guardian of this child. 
But that petition has to be supported by two doctors who say, yeah, we agree that this person, this child, needs to have a guardian. And sometimes that paperwork from the doctors take a little bit of time to get to. You have to be able to show that, you know, you're not, um, there's a lot of steps in the process. So it's important to do this right before they turn 18. So that by the time they turn 18, you've had the hearing done, you already have the paperwork in, in place. So there's no lapse in time. There's no lag in time between your ability to assist your child, whether they're 17 or 18 years old, because by the time they're 18, you've, as long as you've got the guardianship in place already, you know, it's so much easier for you to be able to help them with whatever they need. Yep. And you know, what's interesting is I've also come across clients where their child is older than 18. They could be in the twenties, never did the guardianship um, because they've said, you know, we've never had an issue, Chris, everyone's included us, but we did have a case a a while ago where I had a mom and again, same thing, her kids were already in their, she, she probably would have needed two guardianships, her two sons, and they were already in their late twenties. And she said, I never needed it until her insurance changed. And so she had mm-hmm. to get a whole set of new doctors and these new doctors had never met her before right. we're still getting to know. And when she wanted to walk into that room, they said, Oh wait, your sons are 18. You have to wait out there. We'll come out <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. They're yeah. And that upset her They're They were talking about surgery, things that had to be done. And she said, no, they can't give consent. So there was a rush to get the guardianship in place. But meanwhile, we're, you know, putting off, you know, surgeries and, and, and medical care that she was so worried that, you know, because she couldn't be included in the conversations, it wasn't necessary that she had no idea. So right. very challenging. So again, if there's an opportunity to do it early, or at least get more information as soon as possible, just because of that scenario, that always scares me that that's just, it's awful. And you're at the mercy of the court, their time frame. Right. So, uh, so that's what's absolutely, <laughs> you know, and can guardianships be limited, Chris? That's, that's a popular question that we also get, right? Right, exactly. And I mean, there are things called, you know, when we talk about conservatorships in other states, that there's also a conservatorship here in New Jersey, but typically it's called, you know, a limited guardianship, where, like I was talking about before, there are certain things that your loved one can do. Um, and they want they want to continue to do it, or they you know they they really have the ability. They know they have the ability to say manage their own finances, but they just can't make medical decisions as to for themselves. Then you can carve out these special exceptions. There is a guardianship, absolutely, but when it comes to making certain decisions that you know your child can't do, that's what you are going to step in to be guardian, you know, of that person. So. There is a way to carve out those, those exceptions to still allow your loved one to have the ability to, you know, to uh, do everything that they're able to do without any kind of, you know, being, you know, without that being uh, affected by your guardianship. Exactly. So it's good to know, right, that there are different kinds of uh, tools that are available to our families when we have an adult, uh, a child who's going to be an adult, uh, and what can be done when they need, you know, help when they still need someone like a parent to step in and speak for them. They have various, so it doesn't always have to be guardianship, you know, could be like we had earlier power of attorney, Mm -hmm. that could be available. So it's good. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. We really hope all of you enjoyed it and learned the importance of how 
it's so important to have a well thought out plan um, to think of things ahead of time. Uh, please tune in again for our next episode that will be coming up. But again, thank you, everyone. We really had a good time doing this. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening. For more, go to mattislaw.com.